she is currently representing South Africa in Jamaica. High Commissioner Lum Kayengeni, welcome to Ubuntu Radio, Your Excellency. Welcome. Thank you, Tenma, for having me. I believe it's a good morning in Jamaica. Yes, it is in the morning in Jamaica. Great. So I would like you to take us through a brief background of yourself, just sharing with us where you were born, how you grew up, about your family and your early childhood uh, years in school and university. Um, I grew up in the Houston Cape. I was born actually in the Houston Cape. Grew up in Duncan Village, East London, and later went to Tanzania. I think most of my childhood and, uh, was in Tanzania. And uh, I am from a family, a small family of five siblings, two ladies and two gentlemen. And currently, we are only three that are left, only the girls. How was your childhood years in school? Did you get involved in politics or any activities relating to that? When I was in high school, um, I can say I'm a product of June 16 uh, uh, uprising. That's when I got involved in politics for the first time. And... uh, my involvement led to a number of incarcerations. Then, when uh, it confinement, I ended up uh, being in prison uh, for two years inside. And then uh, I was released from the prison in 1980. And then after 1980, uh, I then got involved in serious political activities. Like uh, I got uh, recruited uh, in the ANC and I got problems again uh, with the police. And then I had uh, to leave the country. The same year, 1980, uh, for exile. Um, I then went to various countries for political education and for military training. During that time when you were arrested and you were put in solitary confinement, what was going on your mind? Did you fear that you will never get out of prison? Did you have any hopes of getting out of prison? Um, I think that. Stage uh, of my imprisonment, uh, uh, when I started with uh, the student activity, we used to have what is called uh, a political education. There was used to be part of underground cells where you are being uh, taught what is this all about so that what you are getting into, you understand it very well. And the main thing 
but we had to know uh, was that uh, at that time there were only two possibilities. If you enter into politics at any level, whether it's students or at any level, if you get in the hands of the police, it's either you will be in prison, of course you will be tortured, nobody has escaped being tortured, but it's either you will be in prison for a long time or you will die. So by the time you enter, uh, you are convinced, uh, you are prepared, uh, you, you are part of the struggle, you know exactly what you want and the consequences. So by the time then I was arrested, I was already hardened politically. So there was no fear. That's why I survived torture. There was no fear. Yes, not that I'm saying it was easy to be in the hands of the security police. It was never easy. But... uh, you know, you knew what is that you can release and you knew your boundaries because you had to protect a number of people around you and the organization itself. So I was at that stage uh, when I was arrested the first time. And I asked, uh, also came back after leaving the country in 1980. I came back to the country in 1967. After all the political trainings and the military trainings, I penetrated the country, worked in the Western Cape, and uh, got arrested again. I think the whole uh, unit got arrested. And uh, by in that unit, I was the only person who had an experience of being arrested, of being in the hands of the police. Uh, we survived, almost all of us, I didn't survive today. But at that stage, really, I was more experienced uh, in how to... To, to help them and how to endure the pain. And we all survive, I survive. Yeah, I am. There has never been in my, during both times of my imprisonment and the time that I was detained, uh, there was never a time where I regretted or felt that I've taken a wrong decision in my life. Wow, such a resilient generation. So you spent some time in in exile. What were the activities that you got up to? I know that so many people were in exile. They were not just uh, running away from apartheid regime, but they were busy with something, working for the organization or doing some work for the organization. What did you get up to? My main mission of going out of the town to them was uh, to be able to fight in an advanced manner as we were dealing with an advanced uh, weapon, uh, sorry, advanced enemy. 
that was using people against uh, um, unarmed children, school children, or anybody who contested or protested against the apartheid law. So the main aim was to swell the ranks of Mkondo-Westi, which was the military wing of the VSE, and for me to come and fight in an advanced way where I would be able to meet a fire with fire. And that, uh, that was the main. So for that purpose, I had to go first political training because the ANC had to train its cadres before they are taken inside the country so that you don't come inside and fight everybody who was in front of you. We had to be taught that uh, white people are not the enemy. But what was the enemy to us was the system. And therefore, we had to be selecting and targeting who we, who we are fighting with when we get inside. And uh, that training helped a lot because that's the training that you needed before you can handle a weapon. Otherwise, if you didn't have that training, you wouldn't know your main target and your mission inside the country. So that's the mission that I went through. Uh, I had to understand as well you were training in all respects because uh, inside the country, uh, already there was ungovernability. Our people were up in arms, students on the other side, the workers on the other side, meaning that you had to understand all these sorts of that is taking place so that we are also able to advise the students politically when you get inside. We are also able to advise the trade unions when you are infiltrated, uh, when you are sent inside the country. And the first training, my political training, I was trained, uh, um, I was trained in trade unionism. That was done in Bulgaria, understanding the unions and their role in the struggle and uh, how to fight, how to differentiate between uh, the workers' demand that will take them nowhere and the workers' demand that will assist them to eradicate the system completely. How do they become part? and allies of the main liberation movement because all the uh, sections of the population, the workers, the um, students, um, academia, all of them, we had to be in a position to help them to be part of the organization with an understanding. So you're being trained to go back inside to train other people so that our struggle can advance with the purpose. Uh, that's what we did. And the other training that I did was a political training, uh, which I did, uh, which was done 
in then Soviet Union, which is today Russia, uh, was there for two years. That was the longest for them all. And then the military training was the last one. As I said, that the ANC focused on training its leaders, capacitating them politically so that they are fully equipped in all respects in terms of giving leadership inside the country, be it in a military uh, terrain or political terrain. So the military was the last one. Mm-hmm. Coming back to the country when you returned in, 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 in the dawn of democracy, what kind of work did you do? Um, I, I actually came back before 1994. And when our former state president, Nelson Mandela, was released in prison, I was also in prison. Remember that I said the unit that I worked with got arrested and we were charged for terrorism and prison. And when President Matiba was released, I was among the political prisoners that were given amnesty as one uh, of the conditions for uh, a dialogue. So we were released. Um, during democracy, like currently, I started uh, working for a state-owned enterprise, which is manufacturing arms in South Africa, the And I was one of one and the first woman to be marketing arms around the world. Um, after that, I think I stayed in the for five, six years almost, approximately. And then I went to Parliament, which was 2004. And in Parliament, I served in committees. All members of Parliament become part of portfolio committees and extended committees because that's where the work of Parliament is really done. It is in those committees. By the time we go to the National Assembly, those members have worked or have been working the whole day in the committee. I served in various committees. Uh, I served in the Committee of Appropriation. I served in the Portfolio Committee on Appropriation. I served in the uh, Portfolio Committee for Auditor General. I served in the Portfolio Committee for Public Enterprise in different years, Public Enterprise and uh, Communication. The last one was uh, the Portfolio Committee on Labor that I became the chair of. Working in those committees, yeah, one got uh, in various aspects of my life because the work that we're doing in 
our daily engineers. It was not an easy one. Finally, the state owned the company. So we also follow the policy of who to sell, where to sell, and how to sell. And uh, coming to Parliament as well in the committee, dealing with people, because we deal with people. It is through public hearings. I've done a number of public hearings in my life in Parliament. For instance, in the uh, Labour Committee, there were two major uh, appeals that led to that committee. One, it was uh, the minimum wage. We had to go around the country, province to province. because we had to listen to all uh, people from different factors of the society and maybe the working class. That was that. And then uh, in the communications committee as well. So I've been there. Um, okay. I've Okay. So an opportunity came for you to um, join uh, the diplomatic corps and uh, move on to go and represent the country uh, abroad. Tell me about that moment. How did it come about? I don't know. But what I can say, um, the employment committee to dispatch its cadres to different responsibilities. So I received a letter that was, the content of it was um, nominated as my commissioner to be residing in Jamaica, but there were other islands that also are under, that were going to be under me, then, and then they were listed, uh, like it was Antagua, Belize, Bahamas. Dominica, Haitis, and Kitten Music, and I was also going to be the permanent representative of South Africa to the International Security Project. So I accepted the nomination. Uh, after accepting the nomination, I had to go for training now uh, to be transformed to a diplomatic. I can understand, I've spoken about my history. So I had to undergo that training. And uh, in 2018, I resumed my duties as a high commissioner in Jamaica, uh, which was uh, a four-year term. It was supposed to be ending or ended last year, December, 2021, December, 2022, December. But uh, I also received a... Uh, Another letter that when I was in the process of packing, preparing to go back to South Africa, that uh, the content of the letter was uh, ex- was an extension of the work uh, of me as a high commissioner for another two years, which two years that will end in 2023 December. I also accepted that because. Uh, that's the deployment. But towards the end of last year, um, I was given more um, islands 
to represent all in all they are fighting with the um feedback authorities. We had um a high commission in Trinidad and Tobago which uh, was slowed down uh, last year and all those uh, islands which are all part of Coricom Coricom as well is part is under the same machine. So that is where we are we have a lot of work in the mission. As you indicated that you have other islands that are accredited to you. It sounds like a mammoth task. It sounds like a w- huge workload to deal with. So I'm interested in finding out what your day in the office look like. What do you get up to on a daily basis? You see, the proper function of the high commission where all the units are complementing each other is a prerequisite for a productive day uh, in the life of the High Commissioner. Uh, it is easy because the life of the High Commissioner entails uh, bilateral meetings, meetings with stakeholders uh, that include private sector, NGOs, and students. So that work demands an office that is functioning properly. We are, as much as we have all these islands, responsibility of these islands, in terms of human resources, we are very keen. And, uh, but also the islands that have just been added, we have not yet been accredited. I am not yet officially accredited to them. However, that does not say that the work in those islands will not be performed by the office. Remember that our presence in all these islands, including the ones that have been included, South Africa, the High Commissioner, or high commissioners who were there in Trinidad before they've been working. So as much as we are not accredited, but we, I have contacted the islands, ensuring them that while we are waiting for the processes of accreditation to be through, I availed the office so that Anything that they need, they should not say we don't have the high commissioner yet or the high commissioner has not been credited, but we will still be there. We will process, we will uh, follow, do follow-up on all other aspects that my predecessors have done in those islands. Um, I mentioned the question of the thinness of the office in terms of human resources. I am aware that... Uh, uh, the DPG in charge uh, for the region, Europe and Latin America, or Europe and America, who, who, by the name of DPG Lomo and the Chief Director Ambassador Bona, they are in a process 
or ensuring that uh, the office is being built up so that uh, we can be in a position of uh, meeting our target at the right time, discharging all the duties that the office has to do at the right time. You also indicated that your term in Jamaica had ended and was extended. I believe you have you had some great moments that you can allude to as the highlights of your diplomatic career. Please talk us through those moments. The first thing that I uh, will relate to you is that uh, during COVID time when it was difficult for everybody around the world to move uh, or to have meetings, this High Commission managed to set up a organized, of course, through their call, a hybrid meeting between the two heads of state, uh, that is uh, His Excellency, President Cyril Ramaphosa and His Excellency Andrew Hollywood, who is the Prime Minister of Jamaica. And those uh, discussions were held on an important day, we targeted an important day in the history of uh, Africa, African continent, and the diaspora. That day was Africa Day in 2021. They were so successful. Foreign ministers of both countries were in that meeting. That's one. The other one is the dialogue that was held between uh, uh, the Minister of Arts, Culture, Women in Jamaica, Minister Olivia Grange, and the president of the ANC Women's League, uh, Batalila Damini, and her entourage. That was also a very successful meeting. All these meetings were highly publicized, more especially the one of the two heads of state in the whole Caribbean. It was live on the television. In, the, in South Africa, on SABC, the president and the president of this country, I mean, of the prime minister of this country, were on the screen. And then the third one is that uh, as a permanent representative of International Secret Authority, which is abbreviated as ESA, um, in 2019, I was elected, in fact, I was nominated by the African region to be the president of that council. The president presides on the meetings of the council. And uh, the duration is one year. It changes uh, around the region. ISA is, has 167 member states and the European Union. So all those member states and the European Union agreed with the Africa region that uh, South Africa, uh, 
should be the president and preside on the proceedings of ISA. It is history because it was for the first time that uh, there is an African woman presiding over those proceedings. So in ISA building, you have a place, a wall that is called the famous wall, where all these uh, presidents with faces are put on. So it was for the first time in your agency, and we have done very well because I got support from my own organization, sorry, from my own uh, department, uh, the, the advocate similar to me, who we hope that very soon we will be charged of the tribunal. It all goes well, and I hope that all goes well because we have worked for that. And that's one. And then the last, we really had interactions uh, with students in the University of West Indies, uh, academic uh, around the island and uh, it's not easy but we're trying as we draw to a conclusion i would like to find out when you leave that country back home what kind of legacy do you think you would have left for those remaining and what kind of key lessons are you taking with definitely we have spent time in Eating with uh, women in the diaspora and women at home. Uh, we are celebrating, like all other, and not even make it a point that uh, the history or the painful history of South Africa is known and the lessons are drawn. And uh, the we are working currently on some projects. Last year, July, June, July, DDG Lomo and Ambassador Bona were here for bilaterals with government officials, bilaterals that we have organized. And there are a number of issues that were raised where South Africa is and Jamaica should form partnership of. And among those is uh, on spot. When they came here, actually, they came with a delegation that came, the delegation from science and technology. Uh, we are hoping that soon the results of those bilaterals are going to be seen on the ground. And... Once that is done, it means South Africa will be seeing a number of already boys and girls in South Africa in different activities. And Jamaica will be also experiencing a flood of South Africans coming to Jamaica, whether it's in tourism, whether it's exchange on Asian culture, whether it's exchange between universities. That, uh, that we have a package and that project will succeed before 
it from next year, December 2013. And that will be the next year. Hmm. That would be great indeed. And lastly, what kind of advice would you give to women who would like to pursue a career in diplomacy? Um, you know, I think the most important thing is just to believe in yourself uh, and learn as much as you can, meaning that uh, once you are nominated and you agree, you start focusing on the type of terrain that you'll be embarking on so that you know what is required of you. You, you learn from your predecessors, those who were there before. At times, it is not as simple as it looks. You find that literally uh, for me, is more political because whatever decision uh, you take, you have to know very well what are your policies in the country that you are coming from. As saying, on each and every issue, you have to to be on your toes and be sure that uh, you are representing South Africa, all South Africans, in the right direction. Hi, Commissioner Eyengeni. Thank you so much for making time to speak to us. And we wish you all the best in the remainder of your term in Jamaica. Thank you, Radio Ubuntu, for inviting me. Thank you. Have a good day, Feather. Goodbye. Goodbye.